Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, it's always a new adventure, a journey in faith. And today's journey takes us beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, to resurrection life. Happy Easter. We need to live as Easter people, people who know and believe deeply that there is life beyond the tomb. We are people of hope. Some wise person once said, In my deepest, darkest moments, what really got me through was a prayer. Sometimes my prayer was, help me. Sometimes my prayer was, thank you. What I've discovered is that an intimate connection and communication with my Creator will always get me through because I know my support, my help, is just a prayer away. And it is through prayer that faith can be strengthened. Faith in resurrection life. And our local guide to faith is Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. With just the answer to one question, he may help us move along on life's journey to successfully live out our faith and navigate our way through the challenges of our contemporary world. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. Happy Easter to you. Thank you very much. It is uh, a gorgeous, beautiful day in the life of our souls, even though our bodies right now are experiencing some real restrictions, but we shouldn't be restrained in our Easter joy. No, we, we certainly shouldn't. And, and you've got a double reason to be joyful this day. Happy birthday as well. Oh, thank you. What, thank what, you a, yes. what a gift you've been given, the resurrection of Jesus on your birthday. Well, remember, some years my birthday falls on Good Friday. So, you know, they're both, it's well part of one mystery. <laughs> it's true. But huh? this year, as it turns out, yes, on the very day of Easter is my birthday. Well, as and you, it's also, if I might add, yeah. it is also Father Matt Gorick's birthday. That's right. Um, uh, my secretary, uh, pre-secretary, who's also head of our communications, and who, together with David Elliott in the communications office, have done a spectacular job online and in communications in general during these very difficult times. And I also want to give my uh, praise to you, Father John, and everyone associated with you for your part in all this. Uh, but anyway, getting back, well, uh, it, yes, it's, Father it's, Matt's birthday, so we wish him a happy birthday, too. Absolutely. Happy birthday, Father Matt. And as you celebrate your 39th birthday, Archbishop, during this, yeah, right. <laughs> during this crisis time in world history, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, I guess my thoughts are that I have been very blessed in life with many uh, good things, and uh, I've also had my challenges to face, uh, and this is one of them that we're all facing together, isn't it? Uh, yes, the, true. I, never did I imagine that I would celebrate a birthday or Easter under these circumstances. Um, but it is what it is, and uh, we turn to the mercy of God and do what we can to cope with it in a, in a good and positive way. Well, we'll talk more about Easter when we talk about our gospel for today. But let me take a look with you at Tuesday of this coming week, April 14th. It's Look Up at the Sky Day. And well, that fits for Easter. Yeah. No, more for the Ascension. That's more That's for true, Ascension huh? Thursday. But most of the time, we are all very busy, uh, so we often find it difficult to stop for a moment and appreciate our life and the world around us. Since we are currently staying home more and more, why not go outside and look up? Look up at the sky day encourages us to take some time to see the world in a different perspective. And since Tuesday is also National Gardening Day, 
spending some time outside, if the weather is nice, of course, can help us all appreciate the world around us. Have you been spending more time outside lately? Actually, yes. I've actually been able to get a walk-in when the weather's decent, uh, and I really need that at my age. Uh, so would you, I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I have been getting a little more exercise in the afternoon by kind of walking around the uh, pastoral center. I, I do get a lot uh, more in now that uh, the weather's getting better and we are kind of confined to quarters. But you know, what you're saying I think is very important. Uh, Bishop Barron, uh, who's done so much today to promote the new evangelization right. and to reach out to our young uh, people uh, who are not practicing the faith, he talks about the classic way of beauty as a path to God. And he says it's a shame that the Catholic Church sometimes has turned its back on its own great tradition of beauty, uh, uh, beauty in art and music and architecture, sacred art. Um, and I, I think uh, that, you know, when we consider the, the heavens, the psalmist talks about, you know, that you have made, Lord, uh, the wonders of creation. Uh, thinking about that, I think, uh, with faith, makes us appreciate the grandeur and the beauty and the goodness of God, you know. Sometimes when I um, I think a little bit of uh, my place in the world and, and we think of life, I sometimes imagine myself uh, looking down at the globe the way the astronauts did, you know, yes, those pictures. Yes, from, yes. I wouldn't say as far away the moon necessarily, but where I look down at the United States and I see Michigan where I was born with the Great Lakes and I see uh, Ohio where I was bishop for 10 years and then Connecticut where I am now, and I think of how that all looks so small, you know, that yeah. uh, in the great scheme of God's creation, how really tiny we are, and yet uh, we are infinitely loved by God and called to, to eternal life. So I guess I'm saying more about your, what was the name of the day again? The day is Look Up at the Sky Day. Look at the Sky Day. I guess I'm taking it from the opposite, looking down at the earth from the sky. But I do think that, um, you know, if we're thoughtful and we, we have faith, uh, then these things can help us. It just helps us to put into perspective who we are in our special relationship with a God who cares about us as unique individuals that he's created us to be. Huh? Happy birthday. Thank yeah. you. And we wish you many, many years of joy right here with us in the Archdiocese of Hartford. Thank you. Thursday is International Moment of Laughter Day. It's said that laughing out loud is as essential as breathing. It can help improve health as it relieves stress, instills optimism, raises self-confidence, enhances our relationship with others. Laughter is a, a very powerful way to deal with the difficulties that we are facing in our everyday lives. And how, how beneficial do you feel laughter can be, certainly, during these times in which we exist, these times of hardship, Archbishop? Well, I would put it in the context of joy. You know, Christ said at the, uh, his farewell discourse that... Uh, uh, that he w we will be filled with joy, uh, the joy that the world cannot give, that he can give. But of course, the joy that we should have within us uh, is also takes a form in this world um, of, a, of a cheerful spirit. Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, we all need to laugh. I, it certainly, especially in these days, uh, it needs to be um, needs to be uh, kept before us. A priest, a friend of mine, uh, sent me an email. He said during these difficult times, uh, a, a list of lawyer jokes, and yeah. supposedly these are actual from the trans actually from the transcripts of trials where people were giving on the stand and giving answers. They're not they're not jokes to make fun of lawyers. They're they're jokes uh, that come from law. And I have to say, I shared it with a few people, and they all thought it was it was quite funny. Can you share it with us? Oh, I can't remember one. No. If, if, I, if I had it in front of me, I would, but uh, 
Oh, now you're going to make us leave us wanting. Yeah, I, I'm afraid my feeble brain at this point is not capable of remembering them all. I'd have to think for a moment. Well, somebody sent me this, this joke. Let me share it with you. Joe said, I have the most loving wife. Last night, I woke up while she was holding a pillow tightly over my face to protect me from COVID-19. That's supposed to be funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think my legal jokes are better. Probably. Moving right along, let's take a look at happiness in life, and it's very appropriate that we do so. And this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that's drawn from some of the Pope's writings. So I'll read a brief portion of the Holy Father's Address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts. This is taken from, the, from Pope Francis's general audience that was delivered on April 3rd of 2013, and is called, Learn from the Women of the Resurrection to Go Out and Share the Faith. The Pope says, the first witnesses of the resurrection were the women. At dawn, they went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body and found the first sign, the empty tomb. Their meeting with a messenger of God followed. This messenger announced, Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified, he has been raised, he is not here. The women were motivated by love and were able to accept this announcement with faith. They believed and passed it on straight away. They did not keep it to themselves, but passed it on. They could not contain their joy, their knowledge that Jesus was alive, or the hope that filled their hearts. This should happen for us, too. Let us feel the joy of being Christian. We believe in the risen one who conquered evil and death. Let us have the courage to come out of ourselves, to bring this joy and this light to every aspect of our lives. The resurrection of Christ is our greatest certainty. He is our most precious treasure. How can we not share this treasure, this certainty, with others? It is not only for us, it is to be passed on, to be shared. Your thoughts, Archbishop? Yes, well, certainly, you know, Mary Magdalene as the first uh, witness to the resurrection in the sense that coming to the tomb while others were cowering in fear, uh, she uh, presented herself there out of love for the Lord, seeking his body only to find him alive. Mm. And uh, I think the Holy Father's point, of course, is that we have to go out and share the faith that the resurrection is not just some kind of... Um, article of faith in a book, but it is something that we live and bear witness to in our, in our own lives, uh, going out and sharing that good news with others. Truly, when you hear good news of one sort or another, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to share it with other people, especially those people that are closest to you. You want them to share in your joy. And I think that that's the same thing that, that the Pope is talking about here. Yes, certainly. Um, and you know that Christ is the resurrection and the life you know, in him was life, and the life that's the light of men. And uh, women, of course, in a very special way, are in giving birth, are, are, are very much sensitive and keenly tied to the, to the mystery of, of giving life, of giving birth. It's very fitting that uh, this mystery of the resurrection uh, should be shared in a very special way with the women who were the first to come to the tomb. Well, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners this Easter, but before we get to those questions, let's look at our, our gospel. Uh, and, and this gospel is taken from the 20th chapter of St. John. After this dramatic presentation, we'll talk with you about the significance of this gospel in our lives, Archbishop. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter then came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran, 
But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying, and the napkin which had been on his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Archbishop, what inspiration do you take away from this gospel account? Well, just building on what uh, we said a moment ago, that uh, Mary Magdalene is the first witness to the resurrection, and she's the one who tells the, uh, Peter and, the, uh, the, and John uh, uh, about what has transpired. And, of course, mention is made here in some detail about the burial cloths, which is very interesting, too. The, the, the notion that, traditionally, that this is the apostle, the beloved disciple himself, John, that he uh, saw and believed that when he, he went into the tomb, he saw and believed. It said, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. But in this uh, experience of that empty tomb, we're told he saw and believed. So that is the, the basic, uh, the most uh, foundational uh, truth of our, of our religion, of our faith, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I'd like Mary's first reaction, because it's a very human reaction to finding the tomb empty. She jumps to the conclusion, and I suppose any of us would, I think, that they've taken the Lord and we don't know where they put him. And then she later comes to realize that he lives, the resurrection. Yes, indeed. Very much so. Archbishop, let's move on to some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Renee from Windsor Locks says, What do you think about the Shroud of Turin? Well, the Shroud of Turin is not an article of faith, uh, in, but uh, certainly there's much to commend it as actually being the Shroud uh, in which Christ was buried. I know that there have been some of these uh, uh, tests, uh, carbon dating tests and such, uh, that have disputed that, but those people, and I'm not talking about church people, I'm talking about scientists, say that those tests were faulty because of the way the Shroud uh, was stored and the way the various parts of it that suffered from a fire and various things at a certain point in history. But it is it is not e explainable uh, by uh, normal scientific means mm -hmm. how this image could possibly be there and what it represents. So there's still a great deal of uh, to commend the shroud as being authentic. But as anything, it's a, it can be an object of devotion, but it's not a matter of faith. Uh, our faith is, is based on a historical event, not a historical artifact. Let me ask you a question, Archbishop, something that, that I came across recently, and maybe you can explain this, but I heard that Pope Francis said that he doesn't want to be called the Vicar of Christ. Is that true? Well, <laughs> I saw that too in the news. Well, I think we have to, again, so many times with the present Holy Father, he may say or do things that wind up getting reported in different ways. You know, every year they publish the what they call the Anuario, which is the yearbook, Vatican yearbook. And there's always a nice picture of the Pope in the front, and underneath are his traditional titles. Well, I haven't looked into this much myself, but I, I do know that uh, it was reported that he wants to kind of footnote that title because he thinks maybe, you know, he doesn't want to be going having all these fancy titles under his picture. But the reality is that uh, being a vicar of Christ is uh, part of the teaching of the, of the church. Second Vatican Council said that... Uh, in Lumen Gentium, which is the document, uh, dogmatic document on the church, that not only is the Pope the vicar of Christ, 
but vic- but bishops are vicars of Christ too. Uh, in other words, uh, through their uh, office, they represent Christ to the people in a in a, a very sacramental way. And you, this goes back in history, uh, the Council of Florence some centuries ago, uh, that uh, vicar of Christ is an enshrined uh, theological uh, title for a bishop, including the Bishop of Rome. You know, under my picture, it doesn't say a vicar of Christ. We don't, I mean, it's a theological understanding. And perhaps the Holy Father thinks that that's sufficient. It doesn't need to be uh, put under his picture. But uh, so that's kind of the background for all of this. I appreciate that explanation. Let's look at a question submitted by Jess from Southington. Jess says, with no Easter Vigil Mass, what happens to the catechumens and candidates who were studying to enter the Catholic Church? Well, Jess, of course, this does create a challenge, uh, and different dioceses are responding in different ways. Uh, We have said in the Archdiocese that once we can go back uh, to church again, then these people will, these uh, catechumens and candidates, will be received into the church or baptized, because it doesn't have to be at the Easter Vigil. That's the traditional time for this through the great uh, season of Lent, uh, but it can happen other times, obviously, as well, and that's what we'll have to do. It does create, these these situations today create many challenges. You know, yeah. there were 40 confirmations scheduled for the spring season in different parishes. And I told our pastors, our priests, that we there's no way we can add the 40 confirmations in the spring to the ones that are going to be scheduled for the fall. It's just, we can't accommodate all of them. So I'm going to give pastors, if they ask, I'm going to give them delegation to to do the confirmation in their parish because the priest can't do it with the bishop's delegation. And I also will have to look into it, but I'm hoping we can uh, maybe have uh, offer some more cathedral confirmations where uh, the bishop, I can do it, but it would bring them together at the cathedral from more than one parish. So that's just an example of the kind of things that are going to be backed up and that we just have to do the best we can. Marissa from East Haven says, Do you think that people are beginning to appreciate their lives more because of the COVID-19 pandemic? Lately, I have been reflecting on my life as well as the decisions I've made and have begun to realize just how precious life really is. Well, Marissa, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Mm. And by that, I don't mean that your life is necessarily going to be short. I hope that you are healthy and well and, and God blesses you with a long life. But none of us really know, do we? And so the point is that, yes, this... uh, you know, momento mori, as they said in, used to say in Latin, that the, the remembrance of death is very important uh, from a spiritual point of view. I mean, we're not going to be here forever. And uh, so we're only given one life. We're only given so many years, so many days. And how are we living that in terms of our relationship to God? Uh, you know, I, if it, if it uh, leads to an examination of conscience, then, then it's a great grace. You know, no one would look upon a, a pandemic as being good. But even out of evil things happening, good can come if people encounter the crosses and sufferings that come their way in a way that leads them to uh, get their lives in better shape with regard to loving God and their neighbor. And how often it is, Archbishop, that we take for granted the people that are in our lives as well. They won't be in our lives forever. The fact of the matter is that that this COVID-19 pandemic is causing us to reflect on the preciousness of the people around us as well. Yes, and of course, we in the United States have been blessed with uh, peace and security and uh, the the protections of modern medicine and, uh, I guess you'd say, technology. But, you know, for most of human history, and even today in many parts of the world, people suffer terribly from wars and violence, from disease. 
And so we have to recognize our blessings. And in the midst of these great trials, we have to set our priorities straight. Rita from Wolcott uh, asks, are there any plans to reschedule the March for Life, which was to take place April 15th? Yes, Rita. Well, as you know, we were through the Connecticut Catholic Conference in partnership uh, with the interreligious and ecumenical uh, groups and churches. We were going to have a big um, march here in Hartford uh, during Easter week uh, in, in standing up for, for respect for human life. But that has been canceled because of the coronavirus. But just the other day, I received word from the Connecticut Catholic Conference that they're going to use the occasion to do online a major, what would we call a major blitz or program uh, about a pro-life. So, Rita, if you go to the Connecticut Catholic Conference online, uh, you probably, if they haven't there already, they will be putting a lot of information about doing something that week. How which people, is really uh, next this coming week. Yeah, and how people can participate. Carl from Terryville says, I saw on the news that some priests are doing drive-up confessions. The worshipers confess anonymously while staying a safe distance away inside their cars. Is this something the Archdiocese of Hartford would consider doing? Carl, this is one of the most difficult decisions that bishops have had to make, uh, not only in our country, but elsewhere as well. Quite honestly, I, I, I think... People get divided about these things, which is very sad. But, of course, there's nothing in the United States that isn't a cause of division anymore. That's true. And some bishops are criticized for doing this, and other bishops criticized for not doing it. And bishops are trying their very best to accommodate the needs of the people. But I would say that, personally, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, and I, at first, for a long time, here in the Archdiocese, confessions, scheduled confessions were permitted, right up practically to Holy Week. But when you follow what has happened uh, with the uh, health authorities and the civil authorities, what they're saying, at a certain point, I had to ask myself as Archbishop about the safety of the people and the safety of our priests. And I, um, just before Holy Week began, I sent out a notice that there should be no more scheduled confessions. And, not even with, and with automobiles and things, that can start to get difficult. And, and uh, There's even a, a case where one bishop thought that maybe people could be so far away from the priest that they could still see one another, but they could talk on a cell phone. And mm. we had to, the Holy See even intervened on that, that that's really not a good idea for a number of reasons uh, that I won't go into here. But my point is that ultimately we have to understand that if in Catholic theology, if a person has what we call the votum sacramenti, that the, the person has the desire to, to receive absolution in the confessional, or to receive, I would even say, the sacrament of the sick. And it is physically impossible for them to do this, even though that's what they want, and they have the, the genuine, and they have true sorrow for their sins, then God does not refuse the grace of the sacrament. Somebody in that condition who died uh, without absolution, uh, the church would not say that they're going to hell somehow because they weren't able to get the priest to give them the absolution. God is merciful. Now, that's with the understanding that if they survive or if circumstances change and they can go, then they will go. So it's it's not like, you know, that this is all just pretend and it really isn't necessary. Yes, confession is necessary, but under real circumstances. So I think, you know, it's if, if you were to tell me that nobody could go to confession now for another six months, I would be deeply troubled by that and I would wonder. I don't know that we can we could do that. But certainly... Have, having offered confessions all through Lent 
And now in these very intense weeks that are very dangerous, according to the civil authorities. Most dangerous, I, yeah. Most dangerous. I don't think there's any harm, uh, you know, in, um, in, in not having scheduled confessions. And, you know, this also prompts a further reflection on my part, you know, about our priests. They also, I have a duty to watch over them too. Most of our priests are elderly. And they are the prime victims of uh, of serious uh, COVID cases. And uh, again, I, I'm saying this in, in light of what I said a moment ago about a person who really seeking confession but just can't go, that the grace of God is not denied to them. I think we have to be very careful about our, our, our priest's health too. You know, in the Middle Ages or whatever, when there were plagues and, and good priests went out and sacrificed their lives sometimes because of this, that was in a day where there was no public health where there were people who were dying were just left, you know, to live, sit in the mud. And the poor priests tried to, to bring them some comfort and help. They didn't even understand back then how disease was spread. Well, that's one thing. But today, you know, our hospitals won't even let priests into rooms, partly because they don't have enough safety equipment for their own nurses. Right. How are they going to give it to a priest? So you see how complicated all these things are. But I think we just have to understand that God is all loving and all merciful. And a, a human heart that earnestly seeks the the sacrament, God in his, in his mercy is present to that person. And use the brain that the Lord gave you to realize that there are certain things that the medical, the scientific community has told us about this virus, that we should listen to them and put these health care measures into practice for the safety not only of ourselves, but for the safety of other people as well. Absolutely. It's a duty of charity. You know, we have an obligation to protect our health. Uh, that's a coronavirus or not, we have a duty to, to take care of our health. And, you know, the problem is that if people, some people might say, well, I don't care, but then they become a carrier of the virus right. and they bring it to scores of other people. So I think we do have a moral duty to uh, observe these uh, restrictions so that we are not a cause of, of disease and death to ourselves or to others. One last important question from Kristen from Madison. She wants to know, what is your typical celebratory Easter meal, Archbishop? <laughs> I guess having grown up in a largely Polish household, it was a pretty Polish celebratory Easter meal. Of course, you know, in the old days, when uh, they still had the rules about, uh, stricter rules about fast and abstinence and such, uh, you know, it was a little bit different. Uh, but right now, uh, I, uh, I'll eat whatever you give me, <laughs> but uh, I still manage every year to get kind of a Polish uh, Easter meal. Kielbasa? Ham, mm, pierogi, pierogi, things like that. Uh, yeah. And of course, I lived in Italy all those years, uh, and there I got Italian meals at Easter time. I can remember in Rome. Uh, do you, did you ever have when we, you were a student there ever at Easter have uh, uh, capretto, the the yes. baby goat? Yes, yes. Uh, they serve that instead of lamb. Sometimes it's not that common, but you can get it. They serve a uh, uh, baby goat uh, roasted instead of uh, lamb. Uh, that's kind of an Easter thing in in, uh, in some parts of Italy, anyway. Well, Archbishop, we wish you uh, the happiest Easter and a happy birthday this day. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord, on this Easter day, we think of the mystery of our life, of the mystery of our birth and all the blessings and providential things that are offered to us in life. We also think of the mystery of the cross, of suffering and even death. And we ask you to instill within us a deeper appreciation of the gift of life, how precious it is and how everlasting it is, inasmuch as we will never die as immortal beings. 
but we are meant and called to live with you forever in the resurrection. So we praise and thank you, Lord, for having given us the Lenten season to prepare our hearts, and now a chance, even in the midst of the sufferings and challenges of a pandemic, to praise and thank you for conquering sin and death for us by your own cruel death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. Be the comfort of all those right now who are suffering and in sorrow because of the pandemic. And Lord, please uh, grant to us that this scourge may be taken from us and that we may be restored uh, to the duties and uh, business of our daily lives, but always with greater faith, hope, and love. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you. Happy Easter. Happy birthday. And may this week be truly a, a celebration of the Lord's resurrection. We keep Easter for at least the next eight days, the octave of Easter. <laughs>